My name is Nikki. My name is Charlie. And you're listening to Bed Bed Crime Crime Stories, Stories, a weekly true crime podcast where we pour ourselves a drink and take turns telling each other the stories that keep us up at night. Hi, everybody. Hi. How is everybody doing this fine time of day that you're listening to us? I hope you're all having a good time of day that you're listening to us and that you have an even better later time of day after you listen to us. (laughs) Um, So... We've taken a couple of weeks off from recording because mm-hmm. Nikki went on vacation. Yeah. And oh, I was say, just peel it off like a okay, Band-Aid. So I'm just going to throw this out there. So Jovi just opened up a granola bar to eat while we were getting ready to record. She always yells at Nikki and I when we decide that we're going to have candy during recording. No candy when we're recording because it's picked up by the mic. And then she's shuffling around with her granola bar. <laughs> I was trying to do it quietly. I know. I was like, so I was like just peel the Band-Aid off. I was just, I was just trying. God. Just calling you out Whatever. just calling you out for a second I, for, for a second i thought she had starburst and i was like eyeing her like can i get one kinder 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 but anyway yes we've taken a couple weeks off from recording and um because nikki went on vacation she was out of the state and yes. um so we took a little time for uh, for that and just took a little breather yeah. lots of stuff going on in the world uh since then Mm -hmm. Um, so all I've been doing is watching Ted Lasso because it makes me laugh. And I decided to take a little true crime viewing break because it's a lot. Like obviously still listening to my podcasts, but it's, uh, it's, it was too much. I needed a, needed a Mm -hmm. like full stop break. So I've just been watching Ted Lasso. I feel that's the best. I deep cleaned my whole entire house, Mm. which is a really nice feeling. Mm. It's not going to stay that way, but yeah. That's not a way for me to relax. That's oh, I a... find I find cleaning satisfying. Mm. But I mean, I also have two cats, two dogs, and, and a boyfriend. <laughs> so I find yes. beard hair in the most mm-hmm. random place. I go to work with beard hair on me. Okay. It's worse than dog hair. Mm-hmm. I feel like cleaning up after men is worse than cleaning up after dogs. Mine's not too far away, so I'm not going to make a comment on that. <laughs> I think my boyfriend's gotten, he's gotten better, because I'm like, don't do your beard hair over, like, the tile. Please do it mm. while you're in the shower so the drain catcher catch it, catches it. Mm-hmm. Or do it while you're over the toilet, like, mm. put it into the toilet. Or just clean up after yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once again, I say mine is only a room away, so I'm not going to make a comment on how I feel about beard hair, but I'm just going to say, mm-hmm. I find, I mean, but I mean, anybody who knows me knows that my boyfriend's got like a nice wizard beard going. Yeah. He's very Dumbledore. Very. Yeah. So. It, Dumbledore. Yeah. Mine is, that? mine is very Roy Kent, if anybody is watching Ted Lasso. My boyfriend's beard is very Roy Kent. He is not Roy Kent. Oh my gosh. He is hairy in equal but yeah i find cleaning satisfying Mm. it it puts me at ease but i think it's like one of those like anxiety things yeah where it's like i can't control everything around me but i can control my surroundings and that makes me happy correct yeah no i get that i like rage cleaning (gasps) i don't like i got told i had to stop rage cream cleaning Creaming, creaming. Sorry, that's a, did you not hear me accidentally say it? And I was like, backtrack me. No, I didn't hear it until you backtracked. Oh, everybody would have heard it. It went right under the radar for me until I went to edit. And then you've been like, what the fuck? Learn how to speak, Nikki. 
But yeah, no, rage cleaning, uh, I was told that I'm not allowed to do that anymore. Because that's when I start pulling out the fridge and like, or when I had roommates, it was like, yeah, angrily. Yeah. No more. Yeah. No, I don't. <laughs> I just set the Roomba and let that take control of its destiny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. But anyway. So... With, with that all being said, I guess it is time to kick things off the way that we love to do, and that is with our uh, true crime headlines. Ah, so take it away, Nikki. I thought I was going to burp a lot louder and I was going to do it in the mic, but then it just stayed under. So, sorry. That was going to be my intro for the day, <laughs> but it didn't happen. Anyways, so my true crime headlines for the day are... Um, the first one comes from People, mm-hmm. because we love people. people. It was posted October 13th, 2021. Mm-hmm. And it says, police say Minnesota man accused of murdering woman thought he was targeting his ex-girlfriend. It says, Cameron uh, Moser, 29, allegedly killed the wrong person, oh, God. Um, said Ben Bernatsky whose sister Bethany was gunned down in a resort cabin on Lake Edward. Oh, my God. Isn't that crazy? That's awful. <sighs> That's the worst case of wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, mistaken in identity. Yeah. Ugh. Horrible person. That's terrible. Yeah. Um, she was found in a hallway of one of the resort cabins. So, mm. I mean, to be on vacation. Legit. And literally have someone you mm. don't know. That's awful. So, very sad. Very and sad. Then, since we haven't been here in a while, and I remember the last time we recorded, we were talking about the Gabby Petito case. Mm-hmm. And at that point, nothing was really known besides the fact that she was missing. Correct. Yeah. So at this point in time, <laughs> when we're recording... A whole hell of a lot of shit has happened. A whole lot has happened. Yeah. And I also kind of find it, like, amazing how TikTok is, like, piecing together. Like, if you like, that's all my feed was for a while, mm-hmm. was, like, TikTok literally piecing... T- piecing together like all these different the timelines and st- and yeah. Stuff. yeah 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 crazy mm-hmm. but um this is also from people it was posted october 12th and it says gabby petito died from strangulation mm-hmm. um it says the 22 year old woman's death was ruled a homicide last month um following an autopsy by the um teton county coroner's office so i was waiting all day yesterday uh yesterday because today's the 13th of mm-hmm. october mm-hmm. but i was waiting all day yesterday because i kept seeing the articles it was like coming today coming, and i'm coming. like yep. refreshing and me. then like my best friend like literally sent it to us and i was like mother fucker yeah so, and the timeline fits with the presumed timeline of, when, um, of her final days and yeah so everything yeah. kind of fits into place and now they just gotta find dirty laundry dirty laundry but, uh, yeah. Um, so, I don't know if anybody else saw this TikTok, but it made me laugh. Uh, there is a lady who lives behind mm-hmm. them, and the girl, like, her best friend was actually recording. They were talking about how they wanted to put a hose, because the theory now is that he's in a bunker underneath. <laughs> yes, which if, but anybody, someone- if anybody lives in Florida knows that you can't really dig that far underground to allow anybody to live in a no, bunker no, no, underground. No. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. But... One of the comments on the TikTok was someone saying, I'll pay you to flood their lawn. I'll pay your, or I'll pay your water bill to flood the, their lawn. And it made me laugh so hard. I, um, I saw a thing the other day where, uh, the next door neighbors were playing the Eagle song, <gasps> Dirty yes. Laundry, which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah. Now, so my, my whole thing is this. I, you know, obviously we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. Right. 
I have obviously, and I think I'm not alone in the belief that I think a lot of people believe that his parents are fully, not that I think they had anything to do with that, but I think that they are fully aware of where he is. They're, they're, what is it? Aiding and abetting. Aiding and abetting. Yeah. Yeah. I think at the very least they know where he is. Yeah. Um, Which they just need to fucking... Right. Get it over with. But my whole thing is, is I don't agree. I don't agree with the protesting out in front of their house and the blasting music near their house. Because honestly, because of their other neighbors, it's not fair. Yeah. So I have a very good friend who lives in Northport, who's about a mile or two away from the house. Yeah. And she's like, you can't even get back into the neighborhood. Like, you have to actually go out of your way to drive through that part of town because the whole entire neighborhood is backed up with not even just news vans, like spectators of people just driving past the house. And like that to me is... That's not the point of all of this. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like I said, like he's not, he's not under a flower bed in the backyard, friends. If you dig more than a foot to two feet underground in Florida, you're hitting water. It made me laugh. So it's not where he is. So hard when people (laughs) are saying that. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I mean, you could flood it and just see what happens. But you know, Uh, so I don't know. That does, we don't have we don't have basements in Florida for a reason. For that reason, yes, because they built the state on ground like Swiss cheese. Um, Florida will no longer be here in fifty years, so I don't even think it's going to take that long. No, you know, yeah. Anyway, so on that happy note, I'm sorry, <laughs> I just killed it. I'm like, I'm gonna have a waterfront property. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so yes, lots of developments in that story. Lots of developments in a lot of stories. Be interesting to see where it is when we record next. I know, really. Well, honestly, my my wish is that by the time we record next, we have more answers. Yeah, that's that's all I hope for. I just, I just, I hope I. Mm. There's no su- I am a believer that there's no such thing as closure. I always love when Charlie goes because <laughs> <laughs> it's me trying to watch what I say so I don't get in trouble. Um, I'm a believer in there's no such thing as closure. Closure doesn't exist because there's when you're a person who's experiencing loss, you mm-hmm. that chapter never closes. It's always it always exists. Um, but to have that the satisfaction of knowing exactly what happened, yeah. Um, I wish that for her family. Um, and I also want to commend her family for having the strength Mm -hmm. to use their pain to call attention to other cases of missing people who don't get the attention that Gabby had. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's not that Gabby didn't deserve the attention. It's that everybody deserves the same attention that she got. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think it's really amazing and impressive and um really beautiful that her family is using their pain and channeling their pain to help others um and encourage others to use the power of the media the power of the internet and the power of social media and the power of anger (laughs) to um to help others so here's hoping that it lights a flame but yeah who knows so anyway, so anyway, <laughs> this week's uh, bed crime story. So this week's bed crime story. This one is um, my bed crime story. This week got much darker than I thought it was going to get. So oh, the person who I did my my story on, I always knew was like depraved and crazy, and um, it's a it, the whole story, the whole saga of his life and his crimes are. Um, 
just really dark, but I didn't realize just how unhinged this person actually was. So I am going to tell you all the story of Israel Keys. Um, Israel Keys is a suspected serial killer and you'll understand why i say suspected serial killer uh, as we get into the story um, but my sources today are an article from a website called the brag um i also got criminal wine criminal minds wiki oh, which you had suggested yeah. that first, nikki right and i was like okay and then when the last jovi sewed we did jovi got a lot of her information from the Criminal Minds Wiki. So I was like, let me check this out. And yeah. shit ton of information. I credited yeah. you. I was like, <laughs> yes. Nikki did mention this when she did her one story. Let me check it out. And I was like, oh. oh it's, it's insane how yeah. much information is there. It's great. It's, isn't that the one that's like based off of the TV show, but then it has yeah. it based so on like the they, real, yeah. They have like the it's actual amazing. real story. And then at the end, they just show like if they've ever been referenced in an episode. Yeah. Who referenced them and when. Yeah. Um, but and then I also watched an episode of a show called Signs of a Psychopath uh-huh. um, from the ID channel, and I got that on Discovery Plus. I'm gonna be uh, honest; I've never heard this name before. I didn't either. When she you're oh okay. You're not gonna ever forget it once you hear the story. Ooh. So Israel Keys was born on January seventh, nineteen seventy-eight, in Richmond, Utah, as the second child of John Jeffrey Keys, a maintenance man, and Heidi Hackinson. Um, he had an older sister, four younger sisters, and three younger brothers. Soon after he was born, the Keys family moved to an area in Stevens County, Washington, where John Keys purchased land just north of Colville. There, Israel and his siblings were raised in the Mormon environment, and they were homeschooled, but Israel also occasionally attended Christian churches. Um, I don't know if it was with friends or with neighbors that he would go to Christian churches, but in visiting these churches, it instilled in him white supremacist beliefs. The family were neighbors and friends with Chevy Kehoe and his brother Shane. Chevy Kehoe, who himself is an eventual white supremacist and an accomplice and um so chevy and an accomplice murdered a husband wife and their eight-year-old child in 1996 so not a great street to live on in washington because apparently the the water is tainted in some way or something um yeah so during his childhood years israel would walk around with a pistol everywhere and at the age of 14 his grandfather gave him a 38 caliber revolver which he wound up making a homemade silencer for he and how old uh 14 he made a homemade silencer Mm mm-hmm yes he and a friend also had a habit of breaking into houses and burglarizing them. Uh, Israel also began the lovely and wonderful uh, trait of killing pet animals. Mm. On the episode of Science of a Psychopath uh, featuring his case, uh, there was footage of his interrogation with police, and he claimed that he took his family pet cat and a friend into the woods, tied up the cat, and shot it. Um, and then he just laughed and said, well, that's the last time anyone went into the woods with me. Yeah. Yeah. It's delightful. Um, between 1995 and 1997, he started working for a construction company. And later in the 90s, the family moved to Smyrna, Maine. Man, that's a big, that's a big, big move. leap. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they came, they became involved in the maple syrup business. Ooh. That's sweet. <laughs> wow. 
Yeah. Uh, and it is there in Maine that he rejected his parents' faith and openly declared himself as an atheist. And as a result, he was kicked out of the house. Sometime between the years of 1996 and 1998, Israel commits his first crime, a rape of a teenage girl that he lured away and abducted from a hiking group in Oregon. Normally you see like a progressive increase in the severity of crimes for a person. And like, yeah, okay, so he burglarized a little bit when he was a teenager and, you know, he did the... I'm not saying that it's an okay thing, but like he did the typical killing of pets. But like for your first actual crime to be a rape, that's a huge leap for that being your first crime. Like it's very shocking to me personally. But uh, he was only, he figured he was only like 20 at that point. So in 1998, Israel travels to New Jersey and enlists in the army. He served as a specialist and was first stationed in Fort Lewis near Tacoma, Washington, and then later in Fort Hood in Killeen, Texas. He trained overseas in Egypt. Um, He earned an achievement medal while enlisted and had a relatively spotless military career, except for a DUI that he received um, in Washington State. That was literally the only thing that happened during his time in the military. And he was honorably discharged in 2001. Um, Maybe he should have stayed in the army. Right, that's what I was thinking. I was like, damn. Yeah. Um, Well, sometimes they just need that structure. Sometimes we needed something. Um, According to Israel, he took advantage of his discharge from the military to kill his first victims. An unidentified couple. Israel never gave gave up any information about this first kill other than that it happened. He moved to Washington State where he set up a market serving the nearby Maca tribe. Um, And it was then that he began dating an uh, unidentified woman who later gave birth to his only child, a daughter. His father died at the end of 2002, and not long after that, his girlfriend left him and took his daughter with her. Um, Little is known about what Israel was up to between 2002 and 2006. Um, In those four years, though, it is believed that he possibly would have claimed two more lives. Again, both of those murders are unconfirmed and unidentified. In 2009, Israel starts to travel all over the country. April 10th, 2009, in Tupper Lake, New York, he robbed a bank to help fund his crimes. He wore a fake mustache and sunglasses, and after successfully robbing the community bank, he fled. And he made his way up to Vermont, where he buried a toolbox that contained two guns and a desiccant. So a desiccant are those like little baggies that you get when you get uh, a shipment that say do not eat. Oh, right. Okay. So there it's usually. Silica. I was wondering, I was going to ask. Like, What's so a desiccant? Um, usually it's silica gel. There's other different types of desiccants, but that's the most common kind. And that's what those little baggies are. And basically it absorbs moisture. So he put that into that toolbox to keep the guns to fresh. Keep, well, to keep them from rusting. Cause you figure he, yeah. bur- he buried them underground. That's so actually kind of smart. Yeah. I actually said that to my boyfriend last night. I told him about that. And he's like, that's actually kind of fucking brilliant. And I'm like, yeah, no. I wouldn't have thought of that. Use your brains for good rather than evil, my friend. Um, four days later, he flew home to Alaska where he had moved in the years before. So that was in 2009. Uh, for the next two years, Israel travels throughout the country for unknown reasons. Uh, reasons that will later be discovered. Boom, boom, boom. Ominous, right? I know. In May 2011, Israel flew into Chicago, rented a car, and then drove all the way to Vermont. And when he got to Vermont, he unburies his toolbox with the weapons in it. So two years later, 
gets retrieves his guns. Fuck, I wouldn't even remember where I buried something Dude, two years for later. Real. Let alone in my backyard. Yeah, for real. So after he selects a location to take a victim, he found an abandoned farmhouse in a ro- remote area in Essex, Vermont. Israel got himself his weapon, got himself and his weapons ready, and began inspecting motorists from the safety of nearby woods. So initially, what he was going to do was he was going to flag down a motorist on the highway, abduct them, and bring them to the f- the farmhouse. But um, he realized that that probably wasn't the best plan. It was pretty impractical for that to happen. So he did switch his focus to uh, finding, trying to find a couple instead. So he starts wandering around the neighborhoods in the area. And late on July 8th, he discovers a house that was occupied by Bill and Lorraine Courier. The home was less than a half a mile away from the hotel where he was staying at. So he took a look around the property and he was able to kind of determine where the master bedroom was. And he could see that the couple was getting ready to turn in for the night. He cuts the phone lines. And once he does that, he um, decides to start breaking into the house. So he kind of was able to confirm that the two of them shut off all the lights and they were like in bed asleep. So he... Breaks into the house, bursts into the couple's room, and then binds them both at their hands and feet. He stole some items from the house, including a thirty-eight caliber revolver. Israel abducts the couriers from the home, takes them to the abandoned uh, farmhouse in Essex. He leaves Lorraine in the car to take Bill inside and tie him up in the basement. When he came back outside to get Lorraine, she had been able to actually escape the vehicle. Um, She was able to get her ties free. She made it almost all the way to the road, but he caught her and dragged her back. So he gets her back into the house, brings her upstairs and ties her to the bed upstairs. And then he goes to go downstairs to get Bill and Bill also tried to escape and he was able to partially remove his, his bindings. But Israel incapacitates him and then he gets like pissed and he rages out because he's starting to lose control of the scene. Yeah. He had had everything like perfectly planned out in his mind. So he started to freak out. So he shoots Bill to death and then goes upstairs, sexually assaults Lorraine and strangles her um, to unconsciousness, takes her to the basement where Bill is and strangles her now to death. Israel buried the bodies of the couriers in debris down in the basement and left them in the farmhouse intending to return later to build down to burn down the property um he takes the courier's car to bring the items that he had stolen from the house out into the woods in another direction in the suitcase and set that on fire but he wound up realizing that the car was breaking down so he never got it back to the farmhouse to burn down the farmhouse he winds up then taking another car, stealing another car, getting himself back down to New York, and now building out a new stash of weapons in New York with the weapons that he used in the murder. So now I have, I have a question. Sure. Just to break up the tension a little bit. Sure. <laughs> so is he going to bury more guns, essentially, then? Is that what you mean by going to, like, plant more things? He's going to plant a gun so that he can grow more guns. That's what I was going to say. So is it like a squirrel? where he, It's not like a gun it, seed. No. If they bury and he forgets where it is, we get a gun tree? Exactly. It starts, where I was going it starts as a tiny little revolver, revolver and grows into an automatic. <laughs> so I was like, 
Yeah. Yeah. Because that's honestly what I pictured in my brain was him forgetting where a gun was and all of a sudden... There's like a gun tree. <laughs> and you could just pick it off. <laughs> oh my god. It's a little gun tree. Sorry. I had to... I had Try and break up, up the tension a little bit. Yeah, because this is... Sorry, my mouth is yet. getting so dry because I'm just sitting here with my mouth open and I'm like... Yeah. Horrified. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so he stashes the tools in New York in an, another toolbox the same way that he did previously and then he flew back home to Anchorage, Alaska. So that was in 2011 in June. Now sometime between October 25th and October 27th of later that year, that farmhouse was demolished. But the debris, including the bags that contained the bodies of the couriers, was transported to a local landfill and not found. Oh. What the fuck? Yes. So nobody reported these people missing. Oh, they were reported missing, but they had no idea that they were from there. They didn't even check the. They didn't check their basement. This wasn't their house. Remember, he brought oh, them to an abandoned. Sorry. Farmhouse. Oh my yeah. god. It wasn't their house. How they did brought- I miss that? I'm sorry. It's okay. That's just a whole I was yeah. thinking that he watched them in their house and did it. Well, he in did. Their he house. found them in their house, abducted okay. them, and then brought and them then to brought the them there. Okay, yeah. okay, that's where I was missing. I was thinking mm-hmm. it, this was all happening. And mm-hmm. I mean, I know you had mentioned the farmhouse, but then I thought he had mm-hmm. switched his plans. Mm-mm. So, yeah. so fucking crazy. Uh huh. So February first, two thousand twelve, Israel decides it is time to strike again. So he starts driving around Anchorage, which is not normal for him because usually he travels to commit his crimes but he starts driving through anchorage in search of a potential victim so he arrives at a local drive through coffee stand called common grounds where an 18 year old barista named samantha koenig was working at the stand alone um israel approached the stand wearing a ski mask which again you're in alaska it's snowing it's february that's not weird that's normal and he placed an order so she hands him his coffee and as she's handing him his order, he pulls out a gun and demands cash from the register. And she compl- she quickly complies to give him the money, but he winds up forcing himself into the stand with her. And once he gets into the coffee stand, he ties her hands together with zip ties and forces her into his car. <gasps> yeah. She gets in the car, but immediately tries to escape the vehicle. Unfortunately, she does fail to escape. Israel continues to hold the gun to her head and says that he would kill her if she tried to escape again. So he starts driving around town with Samantha in the car tied up and he tells her that all he's trying to do is kidnap her and try and get a ransom. And if she cooperates, she'd be returned back to her family unharmed. Israel kept Samantha captive in the car for several hours, still driving around. And then he wound up even driving her back to the coffee stand in order to get her cell phone so he could send fake text messages to her boyfriend who was due to pick her up after her shift. So he sends a text that reads, quote, hey, I'm spending a couple of days with friends. Let dad know. Israel then takes Samantha back to his house where he ties her up in the shed, turns the radio up so no one can hear her scream. He then drives to Samantha's house after demanding her address in order to steal her ATM card that she has in her boyfriend's truck. So while he's there trying to break into the boyfriend's truck to steal the card, he was confronted by Samantha's boyfriend, who was already on edge because he went to go pick Samantha up at work. She wasn't there. And then he received this like weird text message from her. So he's confronting this guy thinking it's like this random burglar. He runs inside the house to call the cops. Israel flees with the card and returns back home. So once he's back at the house, he pours himself a glass of wine, returns to the shed and rapes Samantha. He then strangles her to death and leaves her there in the shed. So after he kills Samantha, he goes inside the house, 
packs his bags for a pre-planned cruise in New Orleans, wakes his daughter up for school, and leaves to go to the airport. When he returns from his trip, February 17th, 16 days after she was abducted and subsequently killed, Israel begins to write a ransom note for Samantha. He puts makeup on her face, sewed her eyes opened, and took a Polaroid of her body posed to appear as if she was holding that day's newspaper. Fucking stop. Yeah. He then places the typed the typed note, the photograph, in a park under a memorial flyer of a dog named Albert. The note demanded $30,000. And then he used Samantha's cell phone to text her boyfriend. And the text read, quote, Connor Park sign under pick of Albert. Ain't she purdy? A few days later, Israel drove to Matanuska Lake, dismembered her body, cut a hole in the ice and dumped her remains in the lake. As this was all going on, Samantha's father, James Koenig, believing his daughter was still alive after seeing the photograph, because of course it was a Polaroid, so it's not good quality and it's dark because it's the shed and he Mm -hmm. put makeup on her face and he's sick and twisted and it's awful. Um... Samantha's father deposits the ransom money into Samantha's account because that was where he requested the money be placed because he has her debit card. The $30,000 was donated by members of the community. At the beginning of March, so a couple of weeks later, investigators begin seeing withdrawals taking place on Samantha's account in areas across the southwestern United States. With assistance from surveillance footage of the withdrawal locations, it was determined that the person transacting on the account was driving around a white Ford Focus. So the FBI notified Texan authorities to alert officers in that state, as well as in Louisiana and Arkansas, so the places where they were seeing the transactions happen, to be on the lookout for the car. On March 13th, Texas Highway Patrol Corporal Brian Henry noticed the Ford Focus, alerted authorities, um, and followed him onto Highway 59. Israel starts speeding, so Henry was able to pull him over. And he was quickly surrounded by unmarked police cars, federal agents, and Texas Rangers. (laughs) So he was immediately surrounded by all of these different law enforcement agents. So was there something distinctive about the Ford White Focus? Like, no. was there, no, they didn't have the tags or anything? Because I feel like that's. They knew what year it was. They knew it was like a 2012 Ford Focus. Oh, okay, because I'm like, I feel like that's just such a common, like, mm-hmm. car. Couldn't they do something, like, even if they didn't notice the Ford Focus for whatever reason, couldn't they do, like, a random stop where they would just kind of be on the highway and, like. Mm-hmm. I just feel like that'd be a lot of cars to be yeah. stopping. Because mm-hmm. yeah. you are right. It is a common car. They just happen to get lucky. Get lucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> So they search the car. They find Samantha's debit card, her phone with the battery removed so they can't traffic track it, uh, a ski mask, a gun, cash taken from the National Bank of Texas because he had recently robbed that, a, and a highlighted map of California, Arizona, and New Mexico. So possibly locations of his either his kits or places where he was going to go commit murders. Who knows? So Israel, of course, is arrested. He's charged with access device fraud and indicted in Beaumont, Texas. On March 26, Israel is extradited back to Anchorage, Alaska, where he confessed to murdering Samantha, whose body would later be discovered on April 1st. During interviews, Israel was shown to be calm and patient, but also chillingly, like, very frank and honest about his crimes, like, kind of laughing off a lot of the situations that were happening. Um, But he was also very frustrated at the 
the way that law enforcement was going about everything and the slowness of the justice system. So he he suggested terms to a deal saying that he would confess to any crimes he committed and plead guilty to all the charges as long as the trial and his execution took place all within less than a year. He wanted to be tried and killed within the year. Well, of course, it don't work like that. No. <laughs> yeah. No. So investigators do later struck a, struck a deal with him about... Investigators later strike... Wow. Investigators later struck a deal with him about finding the bodies of any potential prior victims in exchange for the media not knowing any details that he didn't want to make public. So they basically gave him control over what was released to the media. As a result, this is when he confessed to the courier murder. He gave them the information and told them where the farmhouse would be. So authorities go to where the farmhouse was and they excavate the land, but they were only able to find indications that there was a, that human beings had decomposed there, but weren't able to find the bodies since of course we know they were unfortunately taken away. Not wanting his name to be released to the media, he threatened to stop speaking to investigators. Um, in June 2012, a routine court hearing debating on calling the case, quote, complex, turned violent. So I don't remember what case we were talking about. Was it Gary Ridgway? Maybe. I don't remember who we were talking about. Where they called the case or the... Um, the trial, a complex trial in order to be able to lock down certain pieces of information. Okay. So basically what this first hearing was doing was let's, let's call this a complex case that will help to lock down certain information. So that's what that all means. So it turns violent because Israel manages to escape and he tries to attack spectators. <laughs> um, and they're assuming that he was doing this in a possible suicide by cop attempt. He was subdued with a laser, with a laser, no, with a laser, I was like, like a, a laser, laser pointer, pointer? So like a laser pointer, like here, he's like a cat. That's what I was thinking. I was like, damn. No, no. He was subdued with a taser, <laughs> blazer, laser. That's from Dodgeball. Okay. Yes. Dodgeball, not boor. Why can't I talk today? How much wine have you had? Not, uh, that's only my second class. And I only had what, like two sips out of it? Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> subdued with a taser and take him back into custody because of the escape attempt security was increased around him so this included full restraints a two officer escort every time he left his cell restrictions on pen pencil and razor possession and daily strip and cell searches on july 20th a local news channel broke the story on israel's connection to the disappearances of the couriers and as a result he refused to speak to investigators um this apparently lasted for approximately two months and then he continued um with his interrogations but later that year on december 2nd 2012 israel keys writes a two-page front and back suicide note front and back like friends suicide note before slashing his wrist with a razor that was mistakenly issued to him and he also hung himself oh my god yes so because of this odd method of suicide like using two separate methods the medical examiner was unable to tell which was the primary cause of death though if you do look him up like if you look him up on wikipedia it says that loss of blood was the actual cause of death so I'm going to trust the, the medical examiner before I trust Wikipedia, though. Just throwing that out there. Okay. So that was December 2012. In August uh, 2013, federal authorities 
released new information on Israel Keys, revealing that they suspect him to have a final death toll of 11 victims, all killed from 2001 to 2012, and that there are possibly other victims in Canada where he sought out sex workers and in other countries. There apparently were records of him traveling to Mexico and... Additionally, he was confirmed to have also burglarized 20 to 30 homes and robbed several other banks in addition to the Community Bank in Vermont when he was on the trip to kill the couriers and National Bank of Texas, which he robbed immediately after killing uh, Samantha. The numerous trips that he took... Yeah, I know. The numerous trips that he took around the country and overseas are to believe to have been twofold. So they were either trips to commit one of his crimes... Or they could have been a trip to hide what he came to call his kill cash. And that's cash, C-A-C-H-E, mm-hmm. cash. Um, so his kill cash included weapons, uh, money, and other materials that he can use during his attacks because he didn't want to be caught traveling with suspicious items or purchasing them immediately before committing the crimes because raises red flags. So much thought. <sighs> so know, smart. I know, I know. I was like, I fucking feel bad for the people, though. It's like... Literally, he goes through all this planning, and then he's just like, eh, you. you, you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was actually just going to say. So unlike most serial killers, he did not have a victim profile. He completely chose every single victim of his completely randomly. And he tried to choose all victims that lived extremely far away from his home, the one exception to this being Samantha Koenig. Um, and he never hit the same area twice. In all instances, he planned his murders long beforehand and took many measures to avoid detection, uh, like using the kill caches rather than purchasing and traveling with suspicious items and traveling to one area of the country and then travel and driving to another, similar to what he did with the couriers where he flew to Chicago, but then drove to Vermont. Israel Keys admired Ted Bundy. <clears throat> yes. And shared many similarities with him, both being that he was very methodical um, and that they both felt as though they had possession over their victims. But of course there are definite differences. So both Bundy and Israel Keys have murders all over the country, but Bundy's case, it's a matter of convenience because he moved all over the state between Pacific Northwest, Utah, Colorado, down to Florida, etc. But with Israel, it was calculated in order to avoid being found out um and then again obviously bundy had a very specific demographic of young pretty women with long dark hair um but israel of course we know had no preferred demographic israel also commented on dennis raider aka the btk stating that he was quote a wimp for showing remorse for his crimes Um, In 2020, the FBI released the drawings of 11 skulls and one pentagram, which he had drawn in blood and stashed under his jail cell bed. Uh, They were found after his suicide. One of the drawings included the phrase, quote, we are one written at the bottom. The FBI believes the number of skulls correlates with what are believed to be the total number of his victims. Wow. So that is the story of possible serial killer israel keys so obviously we know that he is a serial offender there's only technically three confirmed murders two at one time one at a different time so technically a serial killer that does not make but if he did commit all 11 murders then yes he is a serial killer but he killed himself so we will never truly know i hate people like just fucked up just kill yourself sorry don't do that i mean don't 
<laughs> if you're going to kill other people, just kill yourself first. I just, the thing with him is he's so, um, it's so chilling. So if you do watch that episode of uh, Signs of a Psychopath, mm-hmm. a lot of the episode is footage from his interrogation. And he's telling a lot of the story himself. And he just, like, laughs through it. And just tells it like he's just telling you a story. Like, he's just telling you what he did and ate for breakfast that day. And it's very straightforward. And like I said, he, like, laughs about things that might have been possibly inconvenient in the course of killing people. And then to hear the story of the staged photograph of Samantha is fucking chilling it's bone chilling that was one of the worst parts I yes think, for me. Yeah. yeah like yeah the the um the couple and the uh in vermont yeah that was sad but that mm, yeah mm-hmm. i can't even imagine and you know yeah i know it was on a polaroid so like you said poor quality but can you just imagine her father after like after seeing it and yeah. having hope right and, and then, then finding out oh god oh i know I know. Scar me. Mm-hmm. Good job. Yeah. Thanks. Good job. Good job. That's a bad one, but yeah. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, it's like fall. I never know how to segue out of that gracefully. Um. So yeah, about that. Well, everybody, uh, thank you so much, as always, for listening to Bad Crime Stories. We appreciate your loyalty and Mm -hmm. your listens. Um, Please rate, review, subscribe, like, tell a friend, um, all those fun things. Find us on social media. On Instagram, we're at Bad Crime Stories. On Twitter, we're at Bad Crime Stories. You can also shoot us an email, bedcrimestoriespod at gmail.com mm-hmm. and we take story suggestions and dog photos and cat photos and all that fun stuff mm-hmm. um I think that's it I think that's it I think that's usually tell a friend tell a friend be nice yeah don't be an asshole yeah stop being a dick <laughs> um but yeah so I hope everybody has a lovely day night evening whatever um, please be kind to one another. Um, and we'll talk to you guys all next week. But until then, sweet, sweet dreams. dreams. Our theme song is the song Industrial Music Box by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Creativecommons.org backslash licenses backslash by backslash 3.0.